Cloud Inspires Stories and People Behind Cloud Transformation Episode 18 with Micha Metz and Wim Mates and the topic Azure Arc Hello and welcome to episode 18 of our podcast. And um, I'd like to welcome Gregor. Hey, Gregor, good to see you. Yeah, hi, Thomas. How are you? Fine, fine. It, is a, it has been a while until our, uh, to the last time we did a podcast record, but we need to find, ex, um, yeah, apologize for our, our listeners. I, I guess there was a lot of conferences in the last week, so we were a lot on, on the road. Um, so, yeah, how was the last week from your side? I, I hope that you will uh, say in the last couple of months. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Time is flying, yeah. So last week was really great. We was on the Experts Live Germany and uh, uh, organized from Eric Berg and Carsten Rachfall. was really a great, great conference because also the location was really great in this train hall uh, behind the uh, about uh, behind the train station in Erfurt. It was really great. It was really warm there, but was really a great location and also great with with this different um, yeah different uh, frames about the. About the uh, locate uh, about the stages and also, but behind there we are some also in a conference in Netherlands. Yeah, right. Experts live in Netherlands. That was uh, one month before, right? So around. I around hope, I think time. so. Yeah. Uh, was also a really great time uh, to get in touch with uh, the Dutch uh, community. Um, was really um, a great pleasure to meet also uh, some uh, security MVP fellows and um, was really interesting sessions uh, from, from community members. But in the end, it was a really, really busy weeks. I think we personally made our new record about max uh, the numbers of sessions within one week, right? There was the oh. uh, Global Security Compliance Conference. Uh, the um, the data, data Saturday, Saturday. Rhineland yeah. uh, experts live uh, DE with two sessions, uh, so really really busy. In the end, it was four or five sessions in a week, right? Yeah, I think it was really enough. <laughs> Different <laughs> topics really funny, that, that we but, need to yeah. mention as well. Yeah, it was yeah. a really busy time, and uh, I think there are some some events um, next week. So the Azure Meetup Bonn, maybe you heard about that. Uh, is organizing uh, an intro special. Um, so we have our a program manager from the product team um, who will talk about external IDs. So and the um, name is really cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, really looking forward for for, for 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 this event. And there's also a conference event uh, next week. I heard about that. Yeah, I am. I mean, there's also also the Azure Lowlands, and I hope some of our guests can also introduce about this one. But yeah, it was also next week, and they I have heard they have also an interesting session there. <laughs> and that is the perfect move over to our guests. I think because so. we uh, met them before at the Experts Live Netherlands, and um, yeah, it was a perfect timing uh, to have a follow-up discussion here in our podcast. So welcome, welcome guys, welcome Wim and Misha. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Gregor. Nice to hear you now. And not see you. Yeah, uh, quite quite warm in Belgium at the moment, to be honest. Same here in Germany. Same here. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, before we dive in, do you have some uh, two or three words about your session at Azure Lowlands and where the conference is? This in an in-person conference? It's a it's a in-person conference. It's a yeah full day event uh, focusing on yeah Azure Microsoft Azure platform and yeah I think there are five tracks if I'm correct, Micha, and uh, focusing mm -hmm. on security, containers, um, integration. DevOps and all those things. And I think our session, uh, no, I know our session, uh, is we try to focus on some best practices, tips and tricks related to Azure governance, Azure security, um, Azure storage, and so on, and so on, and so on. And it's called uh, the Azure A-Files Well-Kept Secrets in Azure. So yes. sounds really great. We, we deviated a bit from the X-Files and we went for the A-Files. And it's completely teamed as well. So as always, uh, we try to team our presentations and this time it's uh, X-Files teamed. So uh... Sounds cool. So, but we, we, before we going or dive into more, so please uh, introduce yourself, Micha, we will start with you. So introduce yourself, how are you coming to IT and yeah, in which uh, topics you are currently working, but I have heard uh, some interesting DNS uh, topics also. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so uh, I'm Michael Epps, uh, live in Belgium, uh, Belgium located, um, married two awesome sons, um, um, which uh, both of them are interested in technology, so that's a, a good start. They will have it from the uh, ground up. Um, I uh, started in IT as, uh, I'm still proud of it, as a first-line support engineer calling people how to install the Citrix agent on their computer. That was, Not really. Yes, that was my start. Cool. <laughs> so that's uh, where I started, that, then I, I shifted to second line, third line tech. Um, I learned C sharp because um, there was an, an, um, an opportunity to develop some web services and tools, which I also did. Um, I learned uh, VMware with vSphere. Uh, I learned Citrix. I learned um, a lot of things. Um, and then Microsoft came with a environment called Azure. <laughs> ah, this and, Azure, yeah, I heard about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, it's, it's something new that's, that's it's not so relevant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I shifted to Azure, uh, but still maintaining the, the on-prem environment. So I, I love to do both. I love to do on-prem, even though it's, it's not, uh, something that a lot of people still want to do, but it's still relevant. So that's why I still love to do both on-prem um, environments, on-prem uh, things, but also cloud things. So that's uh, kind of Ooh. my uh, introduction. Perfect. Uh, thanks, uh, Wim. How was your start? Also, also uh, Wim, also living in Belgium. <laughs> I'm also married, only have one son. Um, so these days I'm working as, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange title for most people, as an Azure technical advisor. So I give advice, helping Azure architects. I, I work for a, quite a big company that has smaller companies underneath them. And I assist everybody with anything Azure problem related stuff or um, yeah, 
project that I have that I can help in any way, going pure helping with uh, scripting, development, on templates, biceps, all those things, building the landing zones until yeah, even troubleshooting DNS issues, eh, Micha, <laughs> for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I started off also as a first line uh, support engineer, but uh, at, a, at a hospital. So I helped uh, everybody from yeah, administrative people until the doctors with any of their IT related problems going from PCs, printers, and all those other peripherals you have. And then I evolved, uh, I think it was 2008, starting to work uh, for a bigger company. Um, I was, um, yeah, as I worked for a company that extended me to another company. And then I started off with Hyper-V. So uh, from the early days, Hyper-V evolving to uh, Hyper-V 2012 or two, I think, running around 500, 600 films on my own, on, on several clusters. And then from there, I think it was 2014, I switched over to Azure, yeah, the early days, early, early, early days. And then yes, I'm still, still living in that hemisphere until eh? <laughs> now. So also having that on-premise skill set from Hyper-V and yeah, that's why I'm also doing quite a lot of assessments, eh? migration assessments these days for bringing the on-premise stuff into the cloud in any way possible. So, and I think that's my story, how I ended up as an Azure <laughs> advisor, I think, <laughs> but also with quite a lot of on-premise skill sets. Really, really cool. So, and uh, yeah, can really remember is you are the perfect guys for our uh, topics today. For our topic today, and I think this was Azure Arc. And I have heard this has something to do with hybrid stuff, so with the on-prem stuff, and also how we can connecting this with our Azure Cloud stuff. So, uh, the first question is more: um, When you start, to, you all both starting 2015 in Azure. Uh, 2014, and I think it was even earlier. Okay, so I started so really in the beginning. The beginning yeah. uh, oh, yeah, was, as of, when the Ibiza portal was announced, what is not uh, around 2015, 2016? I think it so was, I was starting 14, if I'm correct. But uh, I, I think yeah. I started off with the ASM and, and yeah. 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 Belgium was using it. It was just for oh, the ASVMs and that, that was it, I think, in yeah. connecting hybrid connectivity and more was not yet possible even then i think yeah it was more possible but it was a disaster so <laughs> <laughs> but i, I still What's remember that, that the, the old portal uh, which oh, which yeah. had the shifting menus left to right and then you get lost in that portal and it was uh, yeah it was uh, interesting times yeah. Yeah, and I can also remember on the Windows Azure pack, this was also the same oh, as, oh, as oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't start about that. Don't start about that one. <laughs> okay, so let us uh, go more to the more modern world with Azure Arc. So, uh, yeah, can someone of you introduce uh, Azure Arc? So, what is Azure Arc and what are the other benefits from Azure Arc from your side? Go ahead. I, I, I think so go um, ahead. Um, uh, so the, the idea of Microsoft for Azure Arc is um, you have the Azure portal and the Azure environment uh, with tools, uh, capabilities uh, for a company. It can be uh, using PowerShell, it can be using the Azure portal, whatever. Uh, 
Um, but that's only for managing, or it's it's by default only for managing Azure virtual machines or Azure uh, cloud infrastructure. Um, the idea with Azure Arc is to extend those capabilities, those tool sets, those permissions, etc., to other um, cloud environments. Um, it can be on-prem, it can be any other cloud vendor, um, and onboard it into your Azure environment. It's it's um, it's extending the Azure um, resource manager to on-prem or to another cloud vendor. That's the basic idea. And then the cool thing is, if you already had a training uh, for um, the Azure portal, so managing Azure environments, or um, if you are familiar with uh, creating PowerShell scripts for managing that Azure environment, you can still use the same skills for now managing both Azure services, but also managing on-prem services. And that's the whole idea. Great, great, great. Uh, do you using Azure Arc in your current uh, projects? I'm using it quite a lot, to be honest. It, it, uh, it would be funny to say no. Just <laughs> <laughs> talking about that for yeah. yeah. Then the, the podcast in my opinion, is over. Can only, in my opinion, can only give your experience to to an audience if you're using it yourself and you have to have to troubleshoot that, work with it, dig quite deep into it to understand it, how it's working, and that's the best way to talk about something you're familiar with and that you're using. And that's I think uh, from those talks, the best advice comes and the best information comes to the public, I think, listening to you. That's my opinion. <laughs> so yes, we're working with it quite a lot uh, of my side. For it's, so it's best to talk about something where you have been knees deep into the mud and <laughs> working with it. That's that's. Uh... That's the thing. I think the really uh, benefit is yeah uh, is that you can yeah connect all the things uh, all the services outside of your Azure environment with and bring it up or bring it in into the Azure environment and using the same capabilities like Azure Policy also the the in Gust configuration and what you can also say or Azure can you also see but um, Quentin what do you see think is a really benefit from the Azure Arc sites. So is this more like the server world or is this really the combination of both or of all this world? So I've seen that you can also in integrate uh, SQL servers, uh, integrating uh, Kubernetes services. And so what do you think is really the biggest benefit from Azure Arc from your side from or from my, your view? From my perspective, especially the recommendations that come out of it, because for example, you can enable Microsoft Defender for Cloud, those capabilities for servers on your servers on-prem because the things I mostly see at customer size, they're running servers on-prem, yeah? Windows servers 2016, 2018, uh, 2022, and stuff like that. Um, they deployed it five years in the same way, but they didn't advance. They didn't talk about the security, about being future-proof, all the recommendations. They just set it up like they're used to setting it up. And we bring those capabilities from Azure inside of your environment, like Microsoft Defender for Cloud, they're mostly quite surprised about the recommendations coming out of there. Um, same, same thing for the SQLs. Eh? Uh, mostly some SQL database on-prem do their SQL stuff 
20 or 10 years in the same way. And then with, for example, that's um, uh, ARC enabled SQL Server, you can, for example, enable that SQL assessment. And most of the time you see quite a lot of things coming out of there. To be honest, and, and uh, same thing for the update management, for example, um, they're doing Windows updates. Uh, I even know customers still doing it manually, even for 50 servers. So whenever somebody has a time after two months or something, they do the Windows updates, they reboot, and otherwise they completely forget about it. Most bigger companies already have something management, eh, like WSAS or uh, CCM around it, build it up. but. Yeah, for all those other customers, in my opinion, it's not something easier than setting up uh, update management through Azure Automation or yeah, in the future, hopefully, through the update center. Um, yeah, so manage everything from one place in the same way. Doesn't matter where it's running. I think that's the most, yeah, uh, yeah most pos positive thing about using Azure Arc in your environment, I think. And it, it, it's, it's instead uh, using two separate tool sets, uh, one tool set for cloud, one tool set for on-prem, uh, just shift it to one tool set. It, it, it use the same update mechanism, use the same way of um, compliance checks, use the same way of policy enforcement, et cetera, et cetera, across your um, landscape, your infrastructure landscape. And I, think, and I think we also know these days that the focus of Microsoft is eh, mobile first, cloud first. So whatever they do somewhere, they will yeah. probably get it working in Azure and then the other things follow. So if you can bring those Azure capabilities to on-premise environments or other cloud environments, yeah, it's a win-win for everybody, I think. Mm -hmm. And this is a very good example of what we can see with the Azure Monitor agent at the moment. Uh, there are some dependencies that exist, and Microsoft really likes to motivate the customer to, uh, to join the Azure Arc story. But you already mentioned um, the wording about uh, it manage, uh, manage everything. Uh, but the big question is, what is the coverage or what are the target systems that are mostly connected to Azure Arc? So are there some... Uh, server systems where the um, customer are not uh, willing to connect to Azure Arc or like to keep them out of scope because they like to keep them 100% on-prem without any dependencies to the cloud. So as a German cloud guy, I always uh, raise up some, some concerns, questions, because that will be the questions from, from customer maybe as well. So how, how, what is the target? Will everything connected to Azure Arc or particular uh, systems? My response would be yes, everything. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the thing where Microsoft is also working on, and, and we did a session on that one um, at, at Express Live, um, Azure Arc is now integratable into your hypervisors. And, mm -hmm. and uh, that's a cool thing. And I think we can um, yep. confirm on that one. It's connectable. It's early stage, but it's already connectable. And you have so many options and possibilities now to have your systems connected to Azure Arc in a um, transparent way or in a secure way. So it's even if you have security concerns, it's still possible to connect on a secure base to um, 
to Azure Arc. And if everything needs to stay, for example, on-prem, Thomas, like you mentioned, um, you have the option to onboard your Azure Stack ACIs these days. Huh? So mm -hmm. if they shift of running, uh, maybe they're running on VMware, Hyper-V, and they will still want to keep things on-prem, but use those extended capabilities from Azure to Azure Arc. You can combine Azure Stack ACI, uh, build your server still. They're still running in your own data center, just on that Azure ACI box, and you can still use those things. The only things I probably won't uh, use in combination with Azure Arc, um, it's something like, yeah, I don't know the exact word in English, but you have some uh, fabric IT mm. with quite some legacy stuff uh, operating in, in the magazines to, to uh, print out specific things or get some machines running. And those things are probably not that easy to onboard in Azure Arc because they're quite specific. But yeah, maybe in the future, uh, with all those IoT examples we have these days, uh, maybe they will be integrated in some way on the long on the longer way, probably. But uh, I, I think for everything is a uh, is is a solution. Um, you just need to see find something that works for you, and that uh, is also legally wise works for you. That's mostly the most important thing. But uh, for everything, mostly there is a way to get it. In, in some way into, into Azure. Yeah, but a, that, a, yeah. A, a good example, I always think, if you have um, a, a company which has a lot of stores, uh, uh, it can be a shoe store, it can be a magazine, it can be whatever, and each magazine has its own uh, small uh, data center. Right? It, it can be a one unit rack uh, running uh, VMware, it can be a stack, it can be whatever. If you want to have VMs running on top of that and you want people to manage it, um, a help desk engineer or whatever, and he needs to manage it, um, you have two options. Either you go for a um, vCenter, so you give the help desk engineer access to the vCenter, uh, but then the help desk engineer needs to know, okay, is that a, a vCenter environment? Is that a stack environment? Is that whatever environment? Or if you onboard it into Azure Arc, all those VMs are just listed in his Azure portal. So he doesn't need to know where the which stack it's using, which hypervisor it's using, whatever. He can just go to the Azure portal, search the VM, and restart or manage that VM from the Azure portal. And you can manage all those different stores, all those different magazines, whatever, from within the Azure portal. And that's the biggest uh, use case or the biggest advantage that, that I always present. Yeah, but but as a security guy, I need to raise up the, the, the $1 million question because uh, when we are talking about connecting every machine, that includes also some sensitive uh, resources like a domain controller, and then we need to talk about Azure Arc as a, from a security perspective, because we're doing policies, maybe having some, some guest policy opportunities. So attacker could be also interested in, in, hey, there's a hybrid management. I love that because I can uh, take it as a privileged escalation path. So if we are talking about such a scenario, 
how much um, awareness exists in, in the cust on, on the customer side about uh, considering Azure Arc when it comes to managing high-privileged assets. Is that something what will be considered in the isolation uh, model or in a permission restriction to, to give us uh, to, to specific resources? How it works on the customer side in, in your discussions? Mostly we, we split it up. We, mm -hmm. we use the RBAC yeah, stuff like we're using in Azure. And then mm -hmm. you can combine it that only those identity people can touch the domain controllers, for example, and that they can only do those specific features that they can enable. So you can regulate it from there also. Uh, the biggest question I mostly get is how do how does that Azure Arc agent running on your service communicates with, yeah. mm -hmm. with Azure? Eh? Because by default, it's just SSL 443. A lot of security people already ah. Eh? <laughs> but these days, eh, luckily, eh, if you have already set up hybrid connectivity through an express route, eh, like most bigger companies will end up with, or you have just a side-to-side -side VPN, you can uh, use a private link scope. So every, every communication arc related, not Azure AD related, because that most of the time still follows a different path. You can push through that private connection. So that already ends that discussion most of the time. Um, and then all other com communication, for example, uh, you can put behind a proxy or whatever. And still some companies are using proxies. So for everything there's probably a security solution you can put on top of it. So, And the fun fact about that, we had this discussion with Azure Arc mostly in the customer environments, right? But yep. we had this discussion maybe before with Microsoft Defender for Endpoint because uh, most of the time Defender for Endpoint is already installed and doing the same. We have uh, privilege escalation for us from the cloud to the MDE, a, a, uh, MDE agent. And also with Azure Arc, there's no differences in that. There's, there's public communication and there's also uh, privilege access. So um, repeats all the time the same story, right? Yeah. It, it keeps ending up at the same yeah. story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, I always say uh, Microsoft, when they bring something out in preview, yeah, it's most of the time uh, in public preview, then not the private one. It's mostly version one, I always call it. Then it's, it goes GA. Then it's most, I mostly call it version two. Yeah, you can use it, but yeah, keep in mind, probably some stuff will change along the way. And Microsoft with Azure yeah, changes everything every month almost. So. And then most, uh, after a few months, most of the time when all those changes are fixed, it's it's a version three. And then for me, it's really production ready most of the time. You still will have something that will change, but most of the time it starts working smoothly huh? and you can use it in production. And then that, that's something I picked up from on-prem when you first huh, install the first version of a, of a server with, with the application run on top of it. Most of the time, some things, mixed up or went wrong and then you solve those things and then after a time you're familiar with it and you can bring it in you, your complete environment and I think you need to look at it in that way. Don't use anything yeah. directly in production, test it out, see if it's working for you, if your security officer is happy so that everybody is happy, familiar with how to use it and then start using it you know, on a broad scale. Absolutely, absolutely. So I have one uh, question. So when I bring up like 
many, many resources with Azure Arc, like servers, SQL database, Kubernetes cluster. How do you handle or do you recommend to, to, um, to structure this in Azure? So I have different Azure servers like Azure ID or domain controllers like SQL servers on-prem or whatever. Do you, how do you recommend to structure this also in Azure in a, a, a subscription like it's only for hybrid management or more like I have SQL server, or I have a production or I have different environments for different applications and I structure the same application also in this same group. How is your recommendation on this? How I can structure this many, many resources that I can bring from on-prem world into Azure and how I can structure this in the best way in, in Azure itself? That's easy. Just all in one subscription, one resource group. You're good to go. <laughs> Perfect. <All in. laughs> Most of the time, um, you start up with those management groups and eh? you have that enterprise scale like most people will know. Eh? I've set it up in my environment following my naming convention. Most of the time, I try to follow customer's naming convention or have a discussion about it. And I create, most of the time, create different management group, purely landing zone related to everything Azure Arc related. Um, Bigger companies mostly split up subscriptions. They have something for production stuff. They have something for development, the QA stuff. On that management group level, uh, you can purely put in specific policies, um, RBAC roles you purely use for your RBAC. And then on top of it, you have those that other management groups having those policies. So everything is in place. And then most of the time for the different types of resources you can import in Azure Arc, we create different resource groups even. So we can even split it up and give somebody explicit uh, rights to do this on this specific resource group or only holding your uh, Azure Arc enabled servers uh, related to SQL, for example, and then use that Azure Arc enabled SQL server on top of it. So mm. that all your DBAs can touch that one. You can even do it. Eh? Thomas will probably love this, split it up if you want to onboard your domain controls, separate resource group. So same thing like you would do it in Azure, just think in the Azure way and not still on the on-prem way and try to split even, you can even split up workloads if you want. And then put in the right security on top of yeah, the resource group so that only the people who need to be working with it and do related tasks, yeah, uh, operational tasks can, can touch it. That's mostly my advice, and it can even evolve further if you want. That's something we, we always highlight, and I love to highlight that one as well. As we said, you have to think in the Azure way. So if you onboard an on-prem VM using Azure Arc, it's a resource in Azure. So you can specify the resource group, the subscription where it lives, the RBAC permissions, et cetera, et cetera. So you can use all those benefits, benefits from Azure but to manage your Azure Arc VMs. And that's uh, a good thing. Yeah, I think this is really the, yeah, the best recommendation also that you have to think about from the Azure side for the management, I think. Yeah, perfect. Yes. Thomas. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and as, as far as I know, there's also the opportunity, um, if, if I'll get it right, that um, you can uh, restrict what are the capabilities by the Azure Arc agents to, to apply to the server, right? Yep. So yep. maybe... 
maybe you like to restrict also the, the that uh, as a security guy, I would say attack surface using management capability depends on the on the angle, uh, few angle, but uh, there could be also the idea, hey, to restrict what could be applied or enforced by Azure Arc as well. Yeah. You can specify which extensions are allowed to deploy and right. stuff like that, so we can limit it even on that level. So unsigned uh, PowerShell scripts uh, and <laughs> some, something like and, that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that is still the same story. And I really like to, to build a relation because maybe our listeners um, uh, are now aware of the things in Azure Arc, but that's the same story once again in Defender for Endpoint. You need to build device groups, restrict who has access to the device group, who is able to execute unsigned scripts via live response. So it is all about uh, thinking what are the entry points to your service when we are talking to, to security aspects. Yeah. Coming All back right. to Azure governance and enterprise scale. Yeah, it's, it's coming. <laughs> we will end up with your session, I think. Yeah. So governance, even with Azure Rock, is quite important. Yeah. Same thing like with all the other Azure stuff you're building. Um, if you don't start controlling it before you start building, you probably end up with something living in the wild, I always say. Yeah, sometimes if we can see uh, how weak is a foundation in the environment when it comes to Azure, um, we hope that they are not building houses because that's the same <laughs> story you need as <laughs> from. Yeah, yeah, you can look at it in that way. You don't start with your roof, you start with your fundamentals yeah, and then you build up from there. Great, that was a really interesting discussion. Unfortunately, I think we need uh, to to have another episode to go more in details or having a shared session on a on, on a conference maybe to discuss oh, also, that's also a great idea i think governance a combination about azure governance enterprise scale and azure arc uh, recommendation and all the best practices yeah. and then bringing security concerns to the table yeah <laughs> <laughs> so before the podcast starts, we uh, ask our guests if they are aware what happens at the end of every episode. And um, we were not quite sure if you are well prepared. Uh, mostly the time, uh, Kriga and me are also not very well prepared, but uh, we have some uh, special questions for you guys today for the quiz. And um, maybe the guys uh, knows there's some rivalry between uh, in sports when it comes to Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands, especially when it comes to soccer as a football and um, also the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in the end, we are close neighbors. And uh, as someone that spent the most uh, time as a, um, as a young boy in, in, in uh, Belgium and Netherlands for, for the summer, summer holidays, I, I know very well both countries. So we prepared a quiz called uh, Germany versus Netherlands versus Belgium. We include uh, <laughs> Netherlands because of course we meet the last time at Experts Live Netherlands and it makes more, even more difficult for you to pick the right answer. So that was another angle uh, to add that here to the quiz. And we start with the first question. And the first question you need to decide by every question uh, is the right answer, Germany, Netherlands or Belgium. And the first question is, where, um, uh, where do the longest men come from? So who has the tallest guys in? Probably the Europe? Netherlands, I think. 
I think so too. If 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 we go to a conference, I, I'm not a, a small guy. Wim is not a small guy, um, and uh, in Belgium, normally we are uh, normal sized. Normal sized. <laughs> standard sized. Standard sized. If we then go to the Netherlands, we are amongst the the smallest the, the small, smaller people. And then I think, okay, that's crazy, really, quite. Yeah, it's always the same. And and the things that I always think, okay, do they get a lot of kicks in the back <laughs> when they were small children or something? <laughs> I I I think the same as with the Netherlands. Yeah. And you are really sure. So you think the, uh, the Dutch That's people what we are see. taller That's than what the Germans? Yeah. But uh, I think German people are also quite big. But yeah, I, I think the Dutch are bigger. Okay. So the right answer is, yeah, right, the Dutch people. So we are going to Netherlands and you have the first point. And I guess you have already Excellent. more points than Germany in the last Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> <laughs> but this is not really a surprise, I think. <laughs> okay, coming to the next question. I like this question. So who is the main producer of chocolate in the Europe? Belgium. Or Switzerland, but I don't like Swiss chocolate, so it's going to be Belgian chocolate. <laughs> ah, okay. Just to keep it with my country. <laughs> Micha, what do you think? Oh, I'm in doubt. It's it's not the, the best producer, it's the most production. Uh, That's the question, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I think the best one is is really a difficult question I think because yeah, that's that that the first question we don't go too far and and we need to define European Union so that excludes yeah. uh, Switzerland and also yeah. the UK okay so yeah. that's true yeah yeah I, I would guess Belgium but probably I'm wrong yeah I would go for Belgium as well let's let's stick with Belgium Belgium. So, a little bit, uh, a little surprise, but it's Germany. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> so you buy, all, you buy all our chocolates. <laughs> That's why we don't have anything <laughs> yeah. in the store anymore. <laughs> and we have a lot of producers uh, on uh, on in Aachen, like on the on the on the border, on the border the but there are so many many producers like Lind and also yeah yeah okay. But so Thomas. But also interesting, so some, some, some statistics about that. So uh, the Netherlands and France are close to 9% of the total share. And Germany is 32% of the volume of the European Union. Well, we so love short champions, yeah. <laughs> All right. So then start with the next, next question. In which country was the share also, when we're talking about uh, stock exchange, invented Germany, Netherlands, or Belgium? I think in the Netherlands, with all those harbors in the mid ages, I think. But it's my guess. It could be, yeah, because they were at sea level and they were. Smartly positioned, so I would say indeed the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a short feedback. Yes, it's right. So it's the Netherlands, and your second point. 
I wasn't. Did you find it? It is indeed because of the harbor position, or was it just? Yeah, it was invention? just a side note. We asked the questions, not the guests. <laughs> 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 so you get an extra I mean, point. You should know why you asked that question. <laughs> so as we said, we, we justified the questions, not having deep research. Are you quickly googling it probably or a bing it or something? <laughs> okay. But I can share an interesting article about this, but this is really ongoing on, on this in case about the harbor and also oh. and about the connection and in the different world. And world and so. <laughs> it, it was an interesting <laughs> question. So I I was Sorry, Thomas. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. no, no, no problems. And, and, and we skipped that very fast before more questions uh, about uh, the answers will be uh, given here. So, Craig, uh, let's let's go to the next question, which is my personal one of all. Absolutely, it was really also a crazy question. In the 1960s and uh, 1970s, light beer was served during school lunch. In which country this was the case? So, beer during lunch. In a school. School lunch. In a school. 1970, uh, 1970. Um, I would say Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> I would guess Germany then. So one answer from your, what is your, Let's your go commitment? Germany. Germany. Yeah. Germany. <laughs> it it's was Belgium. Belgium. <laughs> yeah, why I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm a little bit surprised about it. We also have the most beers in the world. Huh? That small, tiny, small country. But, it's but possible. The most it's number surprising. of breweries and yeah, that's something. So that's think about the Cloudflow conference. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> one. Yeah. Yeah. That's one, yeah, indeed. Yeah. But no, really, nice. beer at school lunch. <laughs> This was really hard, I think. That's the reason why Germany is not the right answer. So the question <laughs> was about light beer and ah, more okay. served. Field beer, yeah. So if we question about uh, countries where beer will be served in schools, then Germany will be the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last and more difficult question. A world record for the longest period of time without a government. Yeah, Belgium. Was uh, that's Belgium. Uh, that's easy. <laughs> okay. We broke it. We, we under 50, 60, uh, with, with more than a year, I think, or two years. That was, it was 400 and so much yeah. days, even. Crazy. So long, really? Okay. Yeah. And probably we will end up with something the same number next time. Yeah. Okay, I'm surprised that you are not surprised, but of course you're living in the same. <laughs> something, yeah, for us it's a normal. We had a, the normal. Yeah. It was during the Corona period, I think. Okay. And we even had, didn't have a government. They had to align people together to make decisions related to how to handle the Corona epidemic and stuff like that, because we didn't have a government at the moment. At that moment. Okay, so we need another question because that was too easy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That was the last answer. Okay, find the question. Where to go? Which in which country you have to go for the most castles, or comparing to bridges in combination with windmills? So, if we are uh, thinking about Germany, there are more castles in Germany than bridges in Amsterdam and uh, plus 
windmills in Netherlands? I think the Netherlands will win, but yeah, I will follow. <laughs> yeah. I follow that one. Yeah, Netherlands. Okay, so uh, based from our Google results, ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are uh, over one thousand two hundred bridges in Amsterdam. Yeah, and thousand windmills in. Uh, in the Netherlands, yeah, but yeah, but depending on what uh, you define as a castle, because the question is, uh, what is a castle? Because it could could be also, um, yeah, some some resident from from the Middle Age and so on. In Germany, we have twenty thousand. So it's three uh, questions. <laughs> <laughs> and if I remember, uh, here in my regional area, we have. Um, every two kilometers any castle or something on the hill from the middle age um i think that's um maybe the half of them are really castles how you imagine them and it could look like but uh, that's a really huge number yeah indeed come on so we're still 50 percent that three on six <laughs> <laughs> yeah so not a bad result uh so I congratulations think so. you made it absolutely so guys, I think the time is running so fast. It was really a pleasure to have you here in our podcast after some long time after the Experts Live Netherlands. It was really a pleasure to talk with you about Azure Arc. So hope that we see you again and hopefully next time back in a person or maybe in a meetup or whatever. Yeah, pleasure was all, uh, all mine as well. So it was awesome to be here. And let's do that session all together. That would be awesome. Yeah. And this was fun, fun also. Yeah, really fun. Especially the quiz at the end. <laughs> Thomas. So, Gregor, it was a pleasure. And um, I think next time, uh, we, the guys have not to wait months before we have the next uh, uh, podcast. So, I will say see you soon, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.